Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Lap Storytelling Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Jest. I think one of my favorite things in the world is discovering something new. It's why I don't watch movie trailers, and it's why I love hole-in-the-wall restaurants, and it's why even when I do the interviews for this show, I refuse to know every detail in advance. Because I believe that the best stories, the ones that really, really resonate with us, are the ones that we can discover for ourselves. Chances are, if you're listening to this right now, you discovered the lapse almost accidentally. You were browsing iTunes, or a friend mentioned it in passing, or you Googled Storytelling Podcast, and that discovery was yours. You get to own that discovery. I do this show out of my own pocket. I'm not part of a big network. I do not have a marketing team. The Lapse is a show that most often appears on top 10 best podcasts you're not listening to lists. But each and every episode, I hope that you discover something new. If you can afford a small monthly donation, even a dollar, less than you would even think, dare to tip at a restaurant, please visit patreon.com slash the lapse. I know it sounds absurd to pause a podcast to make a donation because I know you came here for a story, but I promise you, if you intend to donate and you don't pause right now, you're going to get into the story and you're going to forget. So please visit either patreon.com slash the lapse or make a one-time donation via PayPal to stories at thelapse.org. Thank you so much. Let's get on with the show. Today, we've got a story from Danielle Corrales, and uh, she's also actually a patron of the show. Some of the Lapse's best episodes have come from patrons. And what I love about Danielle's story is that it's one we kind of workshop together. She said, here are a bunch of moments from my life. The more I looked at them, the more she looked at them, we both started to realize that these two seemingly disparate moments, these, these two incredibly impactful moments in her life, were actually one in the same story. I'm going to call this one new kid. See with your ears. This is The Lapse. My mom did not want me wearing makeup really early. She would put on her lipstick and she would just like kind of spread it over her lips. And I'm like, mom, that's not how you do it. I'm like, let me do your makeup, mom. You know, let me show you how it's done. Her eyes were kind of all wrinkly. And so I'd have to pull her face back like this to put on eyeshadow. Her lipsticks would just get this weird, funky shape in them because she would just always put on lipstick before she was going somewhere. And so I would give her the little mountains of her, you know, the peaks. My mom is very light-complected. She had two kids from her previous marriage and my half-sisters, and so they look more like her. My dad is very Hispanic-looking. Our family pictures just were very interesting because it was like, who... Who's who's? You know, she was divorced and was a single parent for a while, and he just sort of embraced everybody. My mom, she went in for a hysterectomy, which, you know, threw everything off, all of her hormones and her emotional state. She would go to bed at a certain time and wake up at a certain time, and down our hall, we had a light, and usually it was off at night. And it was on. We'd go to church midweek, we'd go to church on Sundays, and she just decided that she wasn't going to go to those things anymore. She wasn't interested in anything. She was usually joyful. She was usually happy, and she started to lose weight. It was just like she didn't really care anymore. She just, her face had changed. It's mid-July, the day after her mother's birthday. 
Danielle spends the night at a friend's house. And next morning, she packs up her things, and her friend's parents are kind enough to give her a ride home. But as the car pulls up to the driveway, they find themselves stopping short. There's an ambulance out front, joined by a police car. What is going on? Danielle waves goodbye to her friends, and the car pulls away. My neighbor was outside crying, and and then I was nervous, and I, I remember coming up to the door. There was a walkway. I opened the door, and my dad's standing there. And that's when I knew that my mom had died. I just knew, like, I didn't know what happened or how it happened or anything like that. I just knew that she was gone. I broke into a million pieces because I felt like I had lost a part of me. And it was really, really shocking. You know, of course, like, there was people, I'm so sorry, and I'm so sorry, and I'm like, I don't even know who you are. My dad took a lot of the of the brunt of it because there were a lot of people who blamed him. They were like, "You're that's your wife. Why didn't you do anything?" And he didn't know any better. So there's a lot of people that don't necessarily like him. I think that he did the best that he could with what he had. Everybody else was talking about it, but nobody was talking about it with me, except for my sister. My sister, who's always been very real with me, had asked me, you know, do you want to know what happened? I remember I just so happened to go into the garage for whatever reason. And standing there in the garage was a ladder and a knife and I lost it. My sister ended up talking to me and she said, do you want to know how it happened? And I said, yes. She hung herself in the garage. All of a sudden, I had a sort of like a flashback where I couldn't find her one day. And I was looking around for her and I was calling her name and we had, you know, a three-bedroom, four-bedroom house or whatever. Mom, mom. And I found her in the garage. And she was just kind of looking around. It all came together at that point. Because I knew that she had been planning that. My sister said, yeah, that's, that's how it happened the ladder and a knife, probably the knife that he used to cut her down with. That was really disturbing. In the coming months, Danielle is entering high school. Prior to this, she'd been going to a private school, strong Christian background, but with her father now a single parent, that's not something they can afford. Oh my goodness. This is public school. Sex, drugs, profanity. I was really, really confused. You know, I was on student leadership and I was on 
cheerleading because I was trying to fill my time and just try and cope however way I knew. And so my dad was seeing our pastor every week. So that was his therapy. He, it seemed to me, just went through the grief process really quickly, although I know that it was really difficult for him. However, I didn't get to really talk about anything. I would just be like, Dad, I can't do this today. I just, I need to go to my friend's house. And he would be like, okay, that's fine. I know that he probably had a lot of lonely, you know, nights by himself and just grieving and, you know, because I know that he loved my mom so much. I was in a writing class and the teacher had asked to write a reflective essay, one page. And so I did and I wrote it about the day that I came home and found out that my mom had died. <laughs> And of course, I started to cry. He said, do you need to take a moment and step outside? I thought after that, well, I guess nobody wants to hear this. I was above in math and reading and all of these subjects. And then I realized that if I didn't try, I would just be normal. I needed help. I wasn't going to go down the path that my mom did and just ending the pain. Danielle drops out of high school. She starts seeing a therapist. Therapy really helped me to realize how sad and upset I was at my mom because it was a decision. And that was the most hurtful thing. So here's one of my letters. Dear mom, wow, I haven't written that in a long time. I have so many questions and different things that I want to say to you. I guess to some degree I'm hurt, well, a large degree, I'm hurt by your decision. I don't understand why you would choose to leave me. I think that you were really selfish. I don't see how someone who loved life so much could ever lose hope. I think that it could have gotten better. I just don't understand to know that I wasn't enough for you. There are so many things that I wonder about. Now you won't be able to see anything that I do. Get married, have kids, nothing. And I'll only remember you as you were. I'll always be 14 when I think of you. So this has these prompts in it. So this one says, I miss the way we. I miss the way we used to have our quiet times. During the last days, I would come into your room and put my head on your stomach, and you would stroke my hair. I always loved you when you would do that. Or we would sneak away to go see a movie, or grab food, or just spend time together. I love you. Those journals proved to be crucial steps forward for Danielle. And after just a semester off, she's ready to go back. But it's not just her who's healing. Her father's met someone new. He remarried when I was a senior in high school. It was me and my sister and um, him, and he said, well, I've asked her to marry me. It was just really hard. We lived in the same house, and she was wanting to change a bunch of different things and make it her own, which I understand. 
it's your house, make it feel homey for you. That also meant getting rid of a lot of my mom's decorations or stuff. I took it personal. She really play up the mom role, you know, oh, can I get you anything? Can I make you a sandwich? And I'm like, one, I already have a mom. And two, I'm almost 18, so I don't need a mom. And three, you're not my mom. I ended up moving out. I started volunteering for a grief group in Reno, Nevada. And I really fell in love with facilitating those types of things. As part of Danielle's degree in communications, she lands a gig as an intern. The Suicide Prevention Hotline 1-800-SUICIDE. It's a short four-week gig traveling with a band and telling her story. Joining her is Casey, who Danielle knows from Casey's confession pinned at the bottom of postsecret.com. Her experience was on the other end, calling 1-800-SUICIDE. And then, then there's John. So where do I start with John? (laughs) We ended up staying in contact with the merch guy. He had this really beautiful arm tattoo, blues and yellows. And he had these really crystal clear blue eyes. Our setup was a donation jar and pamphlets and information. And that was it. We weren't really selling anything. But his setup was the whole shirts and CDs and this big elaborate thing. So we would help him with it. And we ended up talking and we would just talk. Then things got really complicated. There was drinking definitely involved in the tour, like on the tour itself. We would go out afterwards with the band and we were at the hotel and he said, oh, I have this edible. One of our fans gave it to us and he made this, they made this vat of Rice Krispie treats. So we all took this edible. I never had an edible before, but I had smoked pot before. All of a sudden it hits me and I start insanely <laughs> laughing. And I'm just laughing and laughing and they're like, oh my God, what is going on with her? The gal that was there was like, I'm gonna go to bed. And I was like, okay, you know, I'll see you soon. I have my key. <laughs> and then him and I were there alone. And we just started talking. And then we were having sex. I was in a relationship at the time. We sort of made this agreement that we weren't going to do it again because we knew that it was wrong. Until the night after that, we stumbled into the bathroom and then we had sex in the bathroom. We ended up continuing to have sex and hook up and we would still talk about his wife. It was just no big deal. It was almost like summer camp. You go off to summer camp, you leave everything at home. We never talked about leaving our partners. I didn't want to leave my boyfriend and I didn't want him to leave his wife. We ended up stopping everything the day we were all going home. In retrospect, I felt a lot of shame about it. A lot of my core values come from growing up in a strong, you know, Christian household. And so I came home just kind of jaded about it and knowing that I had done something that was bad. Danielle has not informed her boyfriend. Now she finds herself squinting under the fluorescent lights. Is that one line? Or two lines? 
one line, which is typical, and then this very faint pink line that you could barely, barely see. I think I'm pregnant. And so I called my sister. What are you talking about? She knew that we had had sex. I just took a test, and it has this really faint line, and I and I can't... Go right now and go get a digital pregnancy test, no matter what it costs. You want one that says pregnant, not pregnant. The boyfriend was going to get home, so I was like, fuck. Go now. So I run to the store. Go grab one of the ones. I sit down, and I take it. Oh, fuck. Okay, so it says pregnant. Okay, well, um, what are you going to do? I said, I have no idea, but I knew that, that I needed to break up with him. I immediately sit down, and I write him a letter. <laughs> I'm really sorry that I did this, but this was the only way that I was going to be able to do it. And I said that we were over, and I just said we're breaking up, and that's it. I ended up having dinner with one of my friends that night. Um, yeah. And I told her, yeah, I'm pregnant. She was like, what the hell? He ends up calling me. What's going on? What is this? What, what you know, I, ju I just need to know what's going on. Well, it's over. And that's kind of, that's kind of it. I've just been feeling like this isn't going well and... You know, you're not appreciating me. Well, is there, like, any reason why? Oh, yeah, and I'm pregnant. And he just got silent. So it's not mine? I don't think so. I felt a lot of shame about it. I know that it devastated him. But I think that it devastated me more because it wasn't just our relationship that was ending. It was our relationship was ending. I was pregnant and I didn't know what I was going to do next. John, I felt that it was very important that he at least knew. He freaked out a lot. He kind of wanted to keep what had happened on the down low. And here I was pregnant. You know, no baby daddy, really. John had his own life and his own family. And he just got to live his life. We really didn't talk a lot after that. And that really, I had a lot of resentment towards him about that fact. Because it seemed that he threw up his hands and kind of walked away. We scheduled a date I was going to be induced. They wanted to do it on July 13th, which is the anniversary of my mom's death, which I did not want. And so we decided on the 14th instead. I did not want to go into labor. They said, oh, call labor and delivery to make sure that you have a bed. So I called and they said they were full. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to call in the morning. And so they said, call at nine. And I was like, I'm not going to call. I'm sleeping because I love to sleep. And my sister pops open the door and she's like, we're having a baby. I don't know what you're talking about. I haven't called labor and delivery. I called labor and delivery and they have a bed for you. So you better get up and shower. I took like the longest shower of my life. So 
went through labor and I ended up with an epidural, which was really nice. Did my makeup because I knew that there were gonna be a lot of pictures and um, my friends were like, you're weird. I was like updating my Facebook. I see all these pictures of these women and they just look so tired. And I'm like, I'm just gonna at least put some makeup on. I had pearls on, you know, just, I don't know. It was like a special thing for me. There was just a few things I wanted during labor. I wanted to wear my own gown. I wanted to keep my bra on. I did not want them to put the goopy baby on my chest. Okay, here we go. Here comes the contraction. All of a sudden, here comes this glob and they like set him on my chest. And so I just kind of was like leaned back. Oh, okay. But then they cleaned him up and then they gave him back to me. everything's changed. I had this beautiful baby and I got the opportunity to snuggle and care for. I sort of don't feel so bad that I get to be selfish with him. About a year after Jay was born, I filed for child support. He did not want me to do that. His wife would see the paperwork and it would be real to them. He had only told her a sliver of the actual truth and had even called me and told me what he told her in case she called me. And I told him, I'm sorry, but this is my life and I'm not going to lie for you. You have to deal with your circumstances and your consequences and I'm going to deal with mine. And part of that is I'm not going to lie about this situation. And so if she calls me for whatever reason, she finds my phone number, I'm going to tell her the truth. So every six months, he would mention it to his wife that he wanted to meet Jay. And she was not open to the idea for a long time. She didn't want to put a face to the child support payment. He finally got up enough courage and bought himself a ticket and didn't talk to her about it. One of the things that I sort of fought was for Jay to call John dad. And in the very beginning, I said, no, he doesn't know you as that. And then as things sort of went, boundaries that were set, like, okay, you're going to come out and visit, and then we're going to have this more consistent phone call. It only took three years, but now John is slightly more involved in Jay's life. They talk about once a week kids can pick up on that sort of animosity and he needs to make his own decisions about his father. If in the end he makes a decision that he doesn't want to have anything to do with him, then I did my best to allow a relationship to develop. I cannot imagine what my dad went through. I've always wanted to ask him. I've always wanted to pick his brain. And I think he would talk to me about it. He's getting older um, he's 70 now and happily remarried, which is good, but I just think it would be really hard for him. I was going through some boxes or something like that, and I want to say that it was maybe when my dad moved. I found this, which it says original note one of one, and then it has this county records of personal effects of deceased. It has the original note. 
Forgive me, family. I love you. It's not your fault. I just can't live this way. Love, mom. I just, I don't tell, I don't tell a lot of people that. Like, oh, I keep around my mom's suicide note. I am who I am because my mom took her life. Being a mother and knowing that I wouldn't have one without the other is kind of sad in a way because I really enjoy being a parent because I get to do all of the things that my mom used to do with me. He knows, he knows that my mom is not around and he knows that she died. Sometimes he asks about her and he says, you know, where's your mom? And I said, you know, my mom died when I was little. He only thinks that people die one way and that's of old age. So he says, oh, she died of old age. And I say, something like that, buddy. When you're older, we'll, we'll talk about it, but... Yeah, for now, you can think that she died of old age. That story again was shared by Danielle Corrales. Thank you to Danielle and to all of my patrons for helping the laps eke by, but I especially want to thank this month's executive-level patrons, starting with the three Davids, David McCaw, David Boff, and David Gaddy, I also want to thank Haley Boros, Priya Panwani, Lorinda Green, Cindy Crines, Rob Holcomb, Matthew Gibson, Antonio Da Silva, Jennifer Cherney, Bren McDonald, Daryl Kane, and Leslie Miller. Thank you all so, so much for making this a reality. Remember, you can help The Laps keep running for as little as a buck a month at patreon.com slash The Laps. You can also make a one-time donation to stories at thelaps.org via PayPal. And that is also the address if you have a story to tell. You can reach me there, stories at thelaps.org. A few short paragraphs doesn't have to be anything you've memorized or anything close to that. That's how this very episode began. Send me an email. Thank you to everybody for the reviews. Thank you to everybody for the support. And thank you. My name is Kyle Jest, and this was The Lapse.